Father, this morning as we approach your word, Father, whether we approach it to teach, preach, whether we approach it as those who are students of your word to read, Father, we don't approach your word in the natural, trying to understand it, trying to live it. But, Father, we approach your word in and by and through your spirit, who is our teacher, who teaches us and who teaches through us. So, Father, we approach your word this morning in this context. You are instructing us by your spirit. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And we ask that that be a great anointing this morning. That by the Holy Spirit, your word may be shared. your Your word may be received. Your word may be understood. And your word may be lived. In each one of us, Father. For we know this is the very ground of the display of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, you remember, we discussed the first part of verses 1 to 5. So we've gone through those first three verses. And this morning, we're continuing with this. And we're going to be talking about verses 4 and 5. At least we're going to begin to talk about verses 4 and 5. So let me read where where we are. We're in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes, you see the word faith, he who believes what? That Jesus is the Son of God. So we see what John is doing. He's been teaching us about loving one another. He's been teaching us about believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's been teaching us about obedience. Those three issues, those three proofs of our faith have been a refrain in this letter from the very beginning. Remember what we said. Our life is built upon a three-legged table. You remember that? We don't know, sorry, the only way we can be assured that we are in the kingdom is not because, or at least only because, we received Christ or we prayed. That is not the assurance, although each one of us have done this. The assurance, when you plant a seed in the ground, that's a good starting point. But how do you know that seed is going to be alive? How do you know it? When you begin to see that little green thing coming out of the ground. So what is the little green thing? It's that three-legged table, remember? It is the doctrinal proof which says what? That we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We talked about that the last time. 
What is the relational proof? That when we believe that Jesus is the Christ, if that is genuine belief, that belief is going to issue forth in this reciprocal loving God with the love with which he has loved us and loving one another with the love with which he has loved us. I don't say just loving one another because too many Christians are trying to love people and trying to be, and you can't do it. It is receiving the love of God in our hearts and it is the giving of that love, returning it to God in love, and then we're loving one another. And then what is the moral test? What does all this look like morally? All of this looks like and is manifested in our obedience to God's word. Do we see it? Do we see now the three proofs? All three of these must be present in our lives simultaneously. Simultaneously. If one is not present, the leg doesn't, the uh, stool doesn't stand. So this morning, having said all that, John is now going to come to the issue that most clearly manifests to the world that Jesus is Lord. May I repeat that? Because I don't think you got it. In these verses, John comes to the specific issue that manifests Jesus is Lord. There's one way that that three-legged table is manifesting that Jesus is Lord and that we are his. One way. What is it? Those who are born of God. Do you see verse 4? What? Overcome the world. And this is the what? Victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. So overcoming the world is the way that the world sees in us and through us that Jesus is the Christ. That God's love is being manifested in us as we love God and love one another. And that they understand and see the effect of our faith-filled obedience. Oh, were you with me this morning? We must make sure that we have all of this together in a cohesive understanding. Bringing it together like a, a fine tapestry and seeing where all these threads begin to give us a vision of what the tapestry is all about. Is this too loud? Okay, I'm just concerned that it's too loud. So this morning, John begins verse 4 with the word either for or because. It's the Greek word G-A-R, gar. It means for this reason. It means for this reason. Now, what is he talking about? In verse 3, he has already said at the end of it, his commandments, God's commandments are not what? A burden. They're not burdensome. Why are they not burdensome? They're not burdensome for this reason, Patrick. 
For this reason, God's commands are not and should not be a burden to you, a difficulty. A, uh, I don't know. Why? Because it is a demonstration that the faith that you are expressing in your obedience is also overcoming the world. That you are not only experiencing obedience to God, but you are overcoming you are experienced the overcoming victory of the world. Amen. There's no word. There's no way to use that. Say that word without shouting. I say shouting words. There's no way. And when we're singing in the congregation, when that word comes up, yell it out. Why? Because all hell needs to continue to hear what? In Christ, we have the victory. So... Just be free to shout when we sing the praises of God on Sunday morning. Amen? Amen. Be free to shout it out. That's right. So John, in this statement, is going to talk about overcoming the world. Now, we'll see in these three, two verses, John says overcoming the world, overcame the world, overcomes the world. He used the word overcoming three different times in these two little verses. So what that means is this, that we should see, because John is using overcoming the world, overcome the world, overcome the world. This is a massive, what word do I want? Issue. It's a massive issue with the Holy Spirit. Do we see that? Typically in Christians and churches, overcoming the world is, you know, okay, well, you know, whatever. We don't want to be too strange. We don't want to be too radical. We want to make sure we're balanced. We want to make sure that we don't go overboard in this. And to the extent that believers believe that, they have entirely missed the emphasis of the word of God beginning in Genesis. For with the sin of Adam, God began to overcome the world. And what happened? He put Adam and Eve out of the garden. He kicked them out. He put together the Levitical legislation. You remember the sacrificial system. What a radical system. I mean, can you get anything more radical than that legislative system? The system of sacrificing and cleansing and the, the food you eat and all. That, whew, that is a radical system. And yet, in the Old Testament, all of it had to do with overcoming the world. The Assyrians, the Philistines, the otherites out there. This system had to do with that. And then in the New Testament, the absolute quintessential revelation of the radicalness that we must be overcoming the world. The most radical revelation of the radical problem. Of the radical solution. 
of overcoming the world is this verse, John 1, 14. This is not in your notes. I don't think this is in your notes. You just have to take notes. Don't just, I hate to lecture you. Don't just sit here and listen. Take notes. So what in the New Testament do we see God himself proclaiming overcoming the world is a or maybe the massive significance? John 1, 14. Somebody quote it. I didn't hear you. Sorry. Yell it out. The word became flesh, the son of God, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, that glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. You need to know John 1, 14. You need to memorize it. In that one statement should tell us how absolutely central is this issue of overcoming the world. Remember what John says in 1 John 3, 8. For the Son of God has appeared for this purpose. To destroy what? The works of the devil. That's another way of saying what? Overcoming the world. The Son of God has appeared for this. What? This purpose, Gordon. That he might what? Destroy the works of the devil. So let's not be lackadaisical and let's not be deceived and let's not be lulled into, well, you know, we don't want to. Okay. And by the way, how does the son of God overcome the world? How does the word, the son of God destroy the works of the devil? How does he do it? As the son of God and the son of man, remember, this is the incarnation of the son of God as a man, as a man, the son of God, as to his humanity, in his humanity, he destroyed the works of the devil. He overcame the world through his obedience of faith. He didn't just walk around and because he's the son of God as a man. Had the victory. That's not right. He won the victory. He worked the victory. He fought for the victory. He declared the victory. How? In his obedience. His obedience was God's way of overcoming the world in this one man. Remember what Jesus said in John 16, 33. In this world, you're going to have a few problems. But, remember the adversative, but, it turns the thing around. But what? Be of good cheer, Veronica. Bishop, be encouraged. You're going to have all kind of stuff going on, Gail. But be encouraged, Jesus said, for I what? I have overcome the world. How did he do it, Joe? He obeyed the Father even unto death, the death on the cross. Remember? Where do you hear that word? Philippians 2.8. And what was the result? How do we know he overcame the world? 
because of his obedience, wherefore also God has highly exalted him and has given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in things in the heavens and things on the earth and things underneath the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that confession is manifested, is made real in our obedience. It's not just saying Jesus is Lord and I, I believe in Jesus and whatever, you know. And No. It is the confession of our lives that the resurrected, exalted man in the heavens who sits at the right hand of the Father who is ruling and returning. This man whom God has given the governorship of the universe now lives in us. How do you know it? Because his obedience is now being expressed as my obedience is in cooperation with him. Not as I try to obey him. But as I find myself obeying in the work of the Holy Spirit. Do we see that? <clears throat> so let's talk about the world system. When John says overcoming the world. He's not talking about people. He's not talking about that relative of yours. <laughs> He's not talking about your boss. When John says overcoming the world, he's not talking about the stuff of the world. The little birdies and the flowers. John is speaking about, and I put it this way, because it boils down to one word. You can say culture, you can say all of those other words, but it boils down into one word. This one word captivates absolutely the world system. He is telling us that our lives as believers are overcoming the theology of the world. You see, what you do, what you see, rather, in the system of the world is the theology of the world. It's all theology. It all has to do, very basically, getting down to the worship of someone. Believers, whom do we worship? Whom do we worship? You can say it. God is okay to say in church. Whom do we worship? God. The God of the New Testament, the Old Testament, the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the object of our worship. But what is the object of the world's worship? Satan. Satan. And that... Satan, satanic theology, works out in all kinds of ways. But specifically, it manifests itself mainly in me, 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 I, 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 me, 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 me. You see that, Susan? Me. It manifests itself quintessentially, Renee, in me, my, I. It's about me. It's for me. 
I get rattled because somebody said something about me. Somebody disrespected me. Someone overlooked what? Me. That's a theological system. And every time we feel that way, frustrated with others, unforgiving of others, we are worshiping Satan who is called the God of this world. Where is he called the God of this world? Come on, you need to know your scripture. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this world, what? He has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, the God of this world, that they may not see. See what? The light of the gospel. That's what they may not see, the light of the gospel. Well, what's the gospel? Of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Everything about this theological system in which we live and move and have our beings physically is about the worship of Satan. Man, that's radical. I just don't. Well, of course it is. That's why John has said the son of God has come to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus calls him the evil one. That's why 1 John 5, 19 says the entire world lies in the lap or in the authority of the evil one. You see, in this context, the world is that theological system that is opposed to God. That seeks to deprive God of the revelation of his glory. You notice I didn't say seeks to deprive God of his glory. Ain't nobody, nothing can deprive God of his glory. Of the revelation of his glory. Let's get the words right. That has exchanged the worship of God for the worship of humanity. And by extension, the worship of Satan. This is a system we live in. This is why Paul warns the church in Romans 12. He says, what? Therefore, brethren, what? In verse 2. Well, first of all, he talks about submitting our bodies to God as an acceptable worship. Then in verse 2, he gives it a warning. Don't be conformed to this world, this theology, this world system. But be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the glory of God. I know he says it differently, but that's what it's about. That you may prove not only that you belong to Jesus Christ, so that, but the world may see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. How will they know? They will know through us. They will know through us. You see, do we remember how all this happened? I just mentioned it. In Romans 5, 12, 19, very instructive passage. The Holy Spirit explains what? That sin, moral corruption, evil came into the world, unrighteousness. It came into the world, what? Through Adam's rebellion. Remember Genesis 3, 6? These are verses that I quote so often, you should say it in your sleep. The last three words of Genesis 3, 6, remember the woman was offered the, uh, to, to look at, hey, look at that tree over there. 
Why didn't? Why did God tell you don't eat that? Why? I mean, what is God? What's going on around here? I mean, doesn't God really care for you, Ryan? Wouldn't He want you to have the best in life? Doesn't He want you to enjoy things and be happy? Well, in one sense, yes. If we define those terms biblically. But when we hear all that, it is being, those terms are being used within the context of the theology of the world. And every one of them, if they're not defined biblically, they are defined to be aspects of Satan's worship. Come on, church. Are you with me this morning? Come on. You see, we take it too casually. We don't believe it strongly enough. I have to say it this way. In the right way, we should fear the world. We should fear the world. You see, as a result of that, this is what we read, remember, in Romans 3, 9 and 10. All. How many? How many in all? All. And he left out of all? Not in this context. All are under, he says Greeks and Gentiles, but we're going, all are under sin. Al, then he says, no one is righteous. And if you didn't quite get that, he's a teacher. No one isn't righteous, what? No, not one. He's talking about those who are living within the context of this world. They are of the world. They are being ruled and governed and encouraged and uh, what word I want, wanting to get things, uh, whatever, through the world's theology. This is where they are. In Romans 1, 18 to 32, I want to read this passage. And listen to this passage. And so often, and it wouldn't be wrong, <clears throat> we read this and we think, ah, oh, those people, those people, those people. But this morning I want to read it as these people and their deeds are but the fruit of a theology. That manifests and glorifies Satan or seeks to glorify Satan over God. Right? This is the fruit. So don't look at the people too much. Look at them as fruit. That we are living in a world that is fallen and darkened and dead. This is the theology. This is the result of the theology of the world. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. And unrighteousness of men that suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. Stop. Don't ever say a person is an atheist. Don't you ever slap God in the face by saying, well, Joe Blow's an atheist. He's not. Why? 
That which is known about God is evident within them. Everybody knows that there is a God in heaven. Everybody. So the best you can do is say, they say they are atheists. Oh, you're with me today. Put it out of your, mind, uh, your mouth. They are atheists. Put it out of your mouth. When God says they ain't atheists, what does that mean, Jody? They're not atheists, therefore they say it. Do you got that? Do you have that this morning? For God made it evident, what, about himself to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. God is saying, there ain't no atheists in the world. For even though they knew God, do you hear it? Do you see it? They did not honor him as God or give thanks. Look at the theology of the world being manifested here. Look at the theology coming through. They didn't honor God. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Look at the effects of the theology of the world. Don't obsess at this point about their dark minds. Oh, I mean, this is the theology of the world. Professing to be wise, they became what? Fools. And exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore, as a result, because of this, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity. This is the fruit of the, the world's theology. This is what Satan wants to happen in us as we are not overcoming the world. Don't be deceived so that their bodies would be dishonored among them for exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the create uh, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to the degrading passions that women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function for the woman and burned in their desires for one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons a due penalty. Ever. Ah, you see it, you see it, <clears throat> you see, that's what wrong well this is the fruit of the theology of the world and if we just see what's wrong with people and don't see why we are going to be subject to the same theology that is capturing their hearts are you with me today See beyond the corruption, the people, the degradation, and look at the theology and ask, am I being sub, am, I am subject to it, am influenced, but am I being captivated by this to any extent? And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil. Fruit of the theology. Fruit of the theology of the world. Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and the worst of all is unmerciful. Why? Because God is a God of mercy. And although they knew, they know that 
the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice it. Are we seeing this more clearly today? This is a culture which is in a revolution. But a revolution that is being manifesting the theology of the world as Satan is the God of this world. See, this is the system from which we have been what? We have been delivered. Remember Colossians 1.13? Everybody knows Colossians 1.13. For we have been what? Delivered from the kingdom of darkness or the domain of darkness. And we have been what? Transferred into the kingdom of God's son. We've been transferred out of this kingdom. And do we believe that the one who died a horrible death and suffered the wrath of God so that we could be delivered out of this kingdom. Do we think it's okay for us to willingly and understandably go dilly-dallying back into the kingdom? People tell me today, oh, it's just culture. Next time somebody says that, I'm not going to do this, Nathan, but I feel like screaming. It is not culture. It's you're giving in to the theology of Satan. Is this radical? Who, man, Peter Davidson. I mean, he says such radical things. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5? You're the light of the world. Then he says what? Let your light. The light what? I just quoted a minute ago. What light? 2 Corinthians 4.4. That they may not see the light of the gospel. Of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God. That's the light Jesus is talking about. Put the things together. And let your light. That light of the gospel that says through my obedience to God and my refusal to be walking in the theology of the world, let that light, that proclamation of the glory of Christ. That's the definition of the gospel. Now, it can be described in all kinds of ways underneath it, but that's the definition of the gospel right there. That's another day I'm thinking about. We are to walk by faith in this spiritually dark world as those who shine forth as the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Remember, he, John used the word overcome. So let me just say very quickly. The word in the Greek overcome means subdue, conquering, prevailing, or winning the victory. It's not a passive word. It's an active word. It's a word that Paul talks about when he says, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have fought. This is a fight and a battle, which we'll talk about next week. The necessity of overcoming is demonstrated in so many verses, but this, these. 
do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what does it say? You're going to be overcome if you're not an overcomer. By what a man is overcome by this, he is enslaved. The lion that is of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. And Revelation verses chapter 2 and 3. Jesus talks to each of the seven churches, and in each one, he uses the word what? Overcome. Overcome. Is this radical? One of the concerns I have for the church today is that too many teachers and preachers want to talk about everything of the Christian life, fine. But we don't talk about the theology and the dangers and the wickedness and the difficulties, the whatever of this world, warning the church. We are here as those who are to manifest the victory of him who is at the right hand of the Father. Amen. We can't be too radical. God is radical about this. How do I know it? The incarnation, the atonement, the death of Jesus. And in the resurrection, God says, the world has now been overcome by a man so that in that man, all my people may experience his overcoming power and walk in it so that I may be glorified. Amen? Amen. Next week, we'll continue with this.